Oh, it's going to be some fun tonight. Let's, let's do this thing. If you type like following Actual Bible, John chapter 2, we're going to get there in a second. It'll be up on the screen. We've created some slides, obviously, uh, for ease of flow. Um, if this is uh, your first meeting with us, uh, it's so good to be back with you in Toowoomba. This is sort of a yearly thing we do. We just come, come by and journey together for a while, and I look forward to it every single time. I leave invigorated. I leave inspired. Um, you, this church inspires me um, to, to do so. And, and actually, the region too, because what I do is, is I, I, I center Toowoomba at, at the center, and then I spend, I spend the four days before and the four days afterwards in the region around, like in Dalby and Chinchilla and Gundawindi and, and Pittsworth and Clifton and, and Warwick. And it's just, it's a great thing what, what I see the Spirit of God doing out here. And so um, if, if you're new to this, this is all I do. I travel around and speak. I've, I've had the incredible privilege of being mentored by a pastor who has rabbi training. I also have a master's degree in clinical psychology, so I'm qualified to sort your head out too. So careful what you say to me. I, I see through it. You can't trick me. I'm promising. Um, on, on your way out, um, there's a resource table out there. Uh, CDs, DVDs, USBs, direct downloads, all the profit we give to the poor and the afflicted. So you can come be a part of that. Since last time I was here, we've gotten uh, three or four brand new ones. Um, the only thing I would ask tonight, because this church has a real chatting culture, and I think it's awesome, right? The only thing I would ask tonight is that if you know you're not getting anything, God bless you. But if you know, I'm going to get something before I leave. If you could buy first, and chat second, and here's the reason why, right, is, is we have to pack it all up, because um, I'm doing a, a region meeting tomorrow that's just in a different facility, so um, I've, got, I've got to take it over there, so if you could be so kind to my team, and um, buy first, chat second, because we have to pack that stuff up. The other thing, this is, um, this is a message I've never done in my whole life, you're first, you're my, you're my, you're, you're my test crowd, come on, come on. I figured you're, you're, you're the best place to test new stuff because when, when you have eight years of credit, the, the thing is, is that if this sucks tonight, if you could just consider my whole body of work instead of one thing, that'd be great, right? Um, but what that means is, is that, is that we're recording it. And the one thing that we can't really edit out of a recording is a baby screaming a lot, all right? So I'm not talking about a fret or a coup or a, Shane's awesome. I'm not talking about that, right? <clears throat> I'm, I'm talking about a sustained yelling, right? If you, could, if you could do me a favor and not panic, in no way do you try to choke the baby, shush the baby. Do not take your, mouth, your hand and put it over their nose and mouth at the same time. That's very, very dangerous. All I would ask you to do is that you don't let them cry it out tonight, right? That you just calmly sort of move to the exit over there and, and utilize the facility and you can hear it out there. And that'll help us uh, with our recording. All right, so I want to talk to you about living out of a more profound yes. I want to talk to you about the nature of the word yes, the nature of the word no, and what that means to live in the tension between those. And hopefully I'm going to open these scriptures and um, and, and we'll find ourselves in these stories. So first, a a story about Jesus. I figure that's a good place to start. This is what it says. It says, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. And when the wine ran out, oh no, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Oh no. And Jesus said to her, woman, I don't even know how to read that part. Like woman, hey woman, woman, (laughs) what does that have to do with me? In other words, not my problem. You serious? My hour has not yet come. I love that insight. In other words, if I'm doing what I think you're, if you, if I do what I think you're asking me to do, that's going to start, um, that's going to start a process I can't stop. That you, you, you turn water into wine and everybody's going to hear about it. And I'm not going to be able to keep myself sort of mini anonymous anymore. Um, but his mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. 
And, and now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they, they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, had now become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who drew it knew. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine, because they can't tell the difference. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana and Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him from that point. Now listen, here's the thing, right? right? There's so much we could do here. There's so many ramifications, there's so many metaphors, there's so many figures of speech, there's so much stuff going on from a Jewish perspective, there's so much history. We could dig into this for probably six parts, right? But I want to leave all of that and go to the most rudimentary thing going on. Like, was Jesus's main goal to provide adult beverages for a party, right? Obviously not. There's something else going on here. And so I want to dig past all of this and I want to go to the most elemental thing going on. And that is the nature of our willingness to get involved in a perceived problem, right? It's we see something going on in our community and then how we respond to that. I think we can find ourselves in Jesus's journey in this as well. So a couple of observations about that nature. First, the people are wanting a sign. And I would say to you that that has not changed. Toowoomba, whether you can put language to it or not, Toowoomba is wanting a sign. They want to know God's real. They, they, they want to experience something that is outside of their normal way of thinking about how the world works. And that, that's what God is. God is any experience we have that walks outside of the normal perceived order of things and creates something new and compelling. God is the name we give to when we deserve judgment, we get mercy. And so, and so if somebody in our world deserves us to retaliate, but we act kindly. We are in that moment being the presence of God. That is the son. That is, that is when we give people an experience with something that is outside of their perceived order of things. The, the people in Cana wanted a sign. I think the people of Toowoomba do too. I think the people of Australia do. I think, I think in, in some metaphorical sense, the people of Australia and the people of the world are going, how do we know God's real? How do we, how do we know that this is compelling at all? How, how do we do? Show, show us a sign. Hey, hey, feed the poor, clothe the naked, bring medicine to the hurting, bring kindness to people who don't deserve it. These are all things that, that allow us to participate um, in the eventual nature of God, that, that we give people. People don't need more belief in God. They need more experience with God. And, and, so, and so that power now is within us. And so they're, they're, they're going for it. They, they, I think Toowoomba and Cana are asking the same question. And, and here's the thing, though. At first, Jesus doesn't want to go along with the miracle. He doesn't. He goes, what's that, woman? I don't even know how to read that. What woman? What's that got to do with me? Like, I don't want to get involved here. Like, there is an initial resistance on the part of Jesus to get involved. Why? Because he says his time has not yet come. In other words, if I start this ball rolling, it's not going to stop. I can't stop it. Wait, if, I, if, I do, if I do what you're asking me, I'm not going to be able to get out of this. They, there, there's no backing off. There's no backing off. And, and I think we all, I think in some way, all of our walks with God started that way too. Like it's like there's a, whether you've been walking with God for 30 years or whether you just started yesterday, when we're faced with an obvious need where we can be the presence of God for our world, our initial response is often the reluctance to get involved. That's not, what's that got to do with me? That, that's not my problem. If, if I, you know, if I, if I start feeding that one person, next week there's going to be 12 and then the next 25 
And then the next 100, I, I might actually have to come up with a way to feed 1,000 people. If I start with one, where does that lead? And so there's initial reluctance in all of us, just like in Jesus, to go, wait a minute, I, I don't think I want to get involved here yet. I think, I think our initial response to getting involved is often no. But then what happens is, this seems to be the pattern, but an initial reluctance to cause a scene. But then his love motivates him to do something about it. His love motivates him to do it. Let's say it this way. Our initial response to get involved, take a chance, make a difference, might be, might be the word no. Like our initial, our initial gut visceral thing is to go, oh, let me mind my own business here. Let, let me, I mean, I'm not even pretend I didn't see that. Hey, let me, let me do that. But then Jesus' kingdom seems to be centered around the yes response, not the no response. So, so my question for us tonight is, does our walk with God center primarily around the word no or around the word yes? When you think about your life with God, does it center primarily around the word no? And here's the thing about both those things. Both those things have a place. There's sometimes a no is the right thing to do. And not just right, a no is the wise thing to do. There's often times, hey, sometimes no is the best response. But I think when our walk with God centers around the no, there's a more profound way to live. Let, let me show you, let me show you this. There's this incredible story that I think is awfully confronting from Jesus' life in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And it's, a, it's an encounter he's having with a rich young ruler. And, and, he, and he asked this. He says, and the ruler asked him, good teacher or good rabbi, Uh, What must I do to inherit eternal life? A pretty straightforward, soul-winning, evidently sort of thing. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. What a weird sort of thing. This guy's asking him about eternal life and Jesus is telling him a list of no's. Which is very confronting, right? Because for us, we would think, well, well, what's that got to do? So you can't be saved by keeping the rules. That's like Christianity 101. Of course you can't. But maybe we're determining and defining eternal life poorly. See, see, in their world, see, in our world, if I say eternal life, instantly, nobody's against eternal life. Nobody. If I say we need more eternal life, nobody goes, no, we need less of that, right? No, no, nobody does that. But here's the problem, right? The problem is not the doctrine of eternal life. It's not. The problem is our imagination of what that doctrine means, right? So when I say eternal life, if we instantly think of heaven after life, right, then we got a fundamental imagination problem, not a doctrine problem. Because in the first century, when somebody said eternal life in the first century, they in no way, 0% at all, were talking about heaven after you died. And this is obvious in Jesus' response. The guy says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, you know the commands, don't do those things. Don't, what, how, what, he's obviously talking about something different. Let me give you a good definition of eternal life from a first century perspective, right? Here's the way they thought of it. They thought of it, when they said eternal life, they thought of something that has no beginning and something that has no end. And it's always spoken up in the present tense. In, in other words, eternal life is those moments in life where we profoundly connect with the spirit of God that is before all things and is after all things, but we're experiencing it right now. It's sort of like, um, I'm trying to think how to define it. It's sort of like worship, right? Like, does worship inaugurate the presence of God? I hope not. Like, that would be awful, right? So there's no presence, and then they hit the right note at the right moment at the right time, and suddenly the presence of God, right, right? 
How much pressure do we put on our worship people? Come on, folks, bring the presence. And the poor people are like, where did it go? Right? Right? Worship doesn't inaugurate the presence of God. Worship, here's what a great worship leader does. A great worship leader gets the whole room to cancel the white noise of their week for long enough to become aware of what's been going on since before the foundation of the world, right? Right? So, so we say, worship starts at six. No, worship's been going on since before the foundation of the world. And at six o'clock, our little group of people is going to engage and connect with that. Now, now, what the ancients called this was eternal life. When we touch that thing profoundly, that, that presence, that movement, that life source, that, that we would say maybe the Holy Spirit or the presence of God, that, that thing that has been true since before the foundation of the world and is at work holding all things together. In that moment when we profoundly connect with that, they would say that's eternal life. So here's what's happening in this guy's life. This guy has everything. He has affluence like you can't believe. Actually, he has affluence like you can believe because we're living about as affluently as he would have been back then, right? We, we have motor cars, paved roads, doors that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying. We, we, we can easily afford after church to go to Walton's whatever and buy and have, and have somebody prepare food for us. Like we're like, we are the rich young rulers, right? And here's what this guy found. This guy found that although he lacked nothing, there was still a gap that he couldn't quite, and he wants to know, even though I have everything, the eternal life I'm seeking is not found in my stuff. It's something else. So how, if, if I have everything and I'm still not touching it, what must I do to touch that? <laughs> and Jesus goes, oh, oh, you know what to do. Say no to certain things. Don't, don't commit adultery. Don't, don't steal. Don't, don't kill anybody. Don't do the same. Now watch his response. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And I think that's our response. Like, that's obvious, right? Like, uh, like, like, certain commands are so obvious that we don't struggle with them anymore. It's just a part of life. Like, most everybody in this room, no, most everybody in this room, their testimony tonight is, man, I'm so glad I made it through this week I, without killing somebody. No, I made it. Hey, hey, give a testimony. Come on, come on. Hey, hey, I want to I wanna give praise to Jesus. I made it through this week without killing somebody, right? Right? For most of us, we'd be like, what, what, what? Do you, do you need God to keep from killing people? Are you a, soco- are you a psychopath? Like, what's, what's going on here, right? Most of us, most of us in, in this room did not make it through the last seven days by the skin of our teeth, not sleeping with someone else's spouse. Most of us didn't do that, right? Most of us didn't go, whew, seven days, whew, I'm free, I need my chip, right? No, no, none of us, right? None of us did that, no, right? No, like, no, none, of us, none of us probably made it through this week barely without stealing something. So, so this guy's response is our response. Like, is eternal life actually found in abstaining from, from destructive things? Because I, I don't find destructive things that tempting anymore. The, the rich young ruler is, is, is a lot like us, I think. Uh, uh, don't, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit. Really? really? Is, is that it? Because I've done that. And, and I mean, I, it might have been a struggle at first, but since I was a kid, I, I haven't really, it's become just a part of my life. And so, so this guy is showing a frustration that I think we all have when, when we think, hey, I'm not doing anything wrong, but I still am profoundly aware of the gap of, of, of the disconnection between me and this thing that's been going on. It's a, it's, it's a profound sort of disconnect. When Jesus heard this, now what do you hear? Oh, you've got the nose sorted. Oh, okay. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, okay, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have. And distribute it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. 
Now come follow me. Oh, wait. Oh, 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 you got the nose down? Oh, probably the reason you're feeling disconnected is because you haven't entered into the yes then. See, see, I think, I think part of our life, right? I think part of our life centers around the no. And it should. Nothing wrong with that. Actually, if you never have a moment where your life with God asks the question, what do I abstain from now that I am walking with God? I think we've missed the boat a bit. But, but at some point, the no's should become such a part of life that they're not even tempting anymore. And then what? So Jesus is talking about a pattern that I think, that I think affects us all. And that is this, is if you're bored with Christianity, it might be because you're stuck in the no's. Like, it might just be because, oh, well, I'm, I'm not doing the wrong things. I'm not, well, I'm not doing it. But then there's a profound disconnect between actually what life is. Jesus goes, oh, 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 you've got the nose down, Pat. Oh, I, you should have started with that, right? Hey, hey, then, then enter into a yes. Sell what you have and start blessing people with no expectation of return. And you'll start touching this thing. Why? Yay, yay. Now, a couple of observations about this. One, the rich man in this story is living his life around the word should. Like, no, hey, I haven't done this, haven't done that. And he's finding himself frustrated. And if we're honest, I think we're going to find ourselves in the story. Our our private prayers to God is, God, I'm doing nothing wrong, but I still feel disconnected. I still feel like I'm not, there's something more I'm not touching. At first, Jesus says the most obvious thing possible in a first century Jewish context. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, he lists all the commands, right? Oh, that's obvious. Jesus is a rabbi. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you got to make sure you, you, you keep the commands. You, you don't, don't, like, you're not going to touch this life source that is holding all life together if you're murdering people, yeah. right? You're, you're not going to profoundly connect with, this, with the spirit of God that holds all life together if you're stealing and dehumanizing others. You're going to do that. You, you, oh, oh, you're not going to hold, you're not going to profoundly connect with a God that is oneness if you're standing in sabotaging other people's onenesses. Like when, when that's the problem, you realize that's the problem with adultery. The problem with adultery is not sex. That's ridiculous. The problem with adultery is not two consenting adults coming together in a pleasurable way. That's not, that's not the problem with adultery at all. The problem with adultery is when we commit adultery, we are fundamentally posturing ourselves against someone else's oneness. And when we posture ourselves against someone else's oneness, we're standing in opposition to the force that's holding the whole thing together in oneness. So how could we not then be torn apart ourselves? So Jesus says obvious stuff, a, a life of shoulds. Hey, 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 okay, eternal life can be found in not doing certain things. And let me be clear, all good things, all good things. Like if you're here today and you're like, no, no, that's me. I really struggled not killing someone this week. I would encourage you to keep journeying in that direction, right? Right, like, hey, hold on, bro. Yeah, 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 make it through another week. Come on, man, right? A should life can be a good life, but it tends to come up short. It tends to come short. This guy has mastered the shoulds. And he's still going, no, no, that's not, that's, that's, I'm not connected. I'm not connected. Let, let's say it this way. A reward punishment system can lead to a good life. It can, but it will come up short. He is rich and already blessed. And Jesus is challenging him to question the whole system. What if he lost? See, in that world, they thought people were blessed who kept the commands the best. Now, we would never think that. that that's ridiculous. But that's what they thought. They thought the people who were blessed were the ones who keep the... So in his world, he's already got his reward for keeping all the commands. He's got that. Jesus is challenging him to turn his... The way he thinks the world works upside down. And and, and he says, what what if he lost all of his reward and gave it away and had nothing? Would he be less? Or would he be more profoundly connected than ever before? What if this man could taste eternal life now and the thing blocking him was his stuff? Or the way he thought about reward? 
I did that, so I deserve a reward. I deserve, it's an entitlement problem, right? Jesus is saying that if you gave it all away, you'd still be okay. And beyond that, you would begin to taste the eternal life you seek. Once we build our structures and systems that give us value, anything that threatens that's a problem. But what you see in scripture is more profound than that. I mean, in the most extreme sense, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. Everything, every structure ever created by man to hold God up was destroyed. The temple destroyed, the furniture in the Holy of Holies removed, the priests taken into captivity in chains, everything. And what you find, what you find in that story is that every structure to hold God up was destroyed and God still survived. Which makes us question how small we think God is. I, I, hear, I hear Australians go, oh God, oh, oh man. Oh. And I think Jesus is like, what are you talking about? We overcame Sardis, Right? Wait, like, like the spirit of God overcame the Roman Empire, right? Like just a quick history of God. The God we are tied to overcame the Egyptian Empire, the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. Four separate gigantic attacks where the temple got destroyed. The Dark Ages, right? The spirit of God was still active and got us to where we are. We were, oh God, oh God, what are we going to do? I think Jesus is like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, honestly, I, I, I hear Australian, Australian Christians, what are we going to do if labor gets in? Like, what are we going to do if labor? Oh God, oh God, the labor party, you know? Oh God. And Jesus is like, what are you talking about? We overcame Rome. I can handle Donald Trump. Like God, like, what are you talking about? Right? So there's this, there's this thing about how small we see God. There, there seems to be, let's say it this way, there seems to be an early yes. And, and that yes includes wor- questions like, how do I get started? What should I abstain from? What, what do I do? And th- this, is, this is the elementary level walking with God. Okay, I'm starting. I'm starting. Huh. Number one, what, what do I abstain from? What, what are we not allowed to do around here? And those are good questions early on. And those questions lead to other questions, which is, okay, if I don't do those things, what reward do I get? What reward do I get? And once again, not a bad question as long as it's early on. But my challenge to us is, can we go past that? Can we live something more profoundly? Let's say it this way. There also seems to be a later yes that feels like being alive. So, so the first yes is this, what do I abstain from? How do I get involved? This is all, and what do I get out of it? But the second yes seems to be later and it feels more like in this yes, the question, what do I do to gain something makes less sense. Like, like in, in, in your early walk with God, you might go, okay, if I give this, what do I get? Right? And fair enough, not a bad question early on. But the more profound yes is I'm going to give with no expectation of reward because that helps me connect to eternal life. That helps me connect to the Holy Spirit of God that's been active before the foundation of the world and after. See, none of us are going to get the first word or the last word. And so divine life is, is actually connecting with that. So, so the first yes says, okay, I'm going to give and, and go through it again. What do I get if I give? Oh, I get blessings and the devourer gets rebuked. And okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But then, then the more profound yes is, is if someone says, why are you giving? It's like, oh, I'm giving because that's what I do. It, it's, it's the right, it's, it's, it's actually the most profound way to live. In the second sense, you don't need the reward in order to live in excess. And, and the thing about all this is God doesn't seem to push you down this road. He just seems to invite you. Oh, oh hey, that, that reward punishment system that, that abstain in order to get something, that engage in order to get something, it's served its purpose, hasn't it? Hey, 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 
Hasn't it been good to you? It's been good. It's been good, but you still feel a little bit of disconnect. So, so the second question is, is have you entered into the more profound yes? The yes that expects nothing in order to connect. Um, let, let's, let's look at it this way. This is um, Jesus in Matthew 5. Uh, again, you've heard it said that uh, of those of old, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you've sworn. But, but I say, don't, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. In, in Jesus' day, there was this thing where people would get out of keeping their word based on the hierarchy of what they swore by, right? And so, so it was, uh, it, it was it, it's sort of like... Um, it, it's, it, we do this too. Like, like when we start having trust issues, we, you, you might start out with something like, oh, your yes isn't good enough. It's swear. Oh, I swear. Right? But, but, but how many of you realize if you would lie on a basic yes, you'll lie on I swear. Right? Right? Or cross your heart and hope to die. Right? And you're like, well, okay, cross my heart and hope to die. Right? Or then, but then people can do that with their fingers crossed and it negates it. You know, it's, it's that. I, 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 was, I was working once with a group of people that took the mickey out of each other so much that, that, eat, that each of them lost the ability to tell when the other one was lying. Right? And so they had to come away because this was becoming distressed. So they said, okay, look, we're all about joking and stuff, but we got to come up with a way to figure out when we're lying or not, right? right? And so they came up with a thing that they had to use. So, so the thing you could not lie on, and this is going to sound so stupid, but it was a bunch of guys acting stupid. It was if they said king buddy word, right? So, so if they said, if they told you a story and they went, at first it was like they told you a story that sounded a bit dodgy and they'd go, say king buddy word. And the guy couldn't say king buddy word because you can't lie on king buddy word, right? right? And, so, and so this became serious. But then people started lying on king buddy word. So they added it and they said king double buddy word, right? And, and, and I, think, I think by the time I left, they were up to king quintuple buddy word. Because here's the problem, right? If you'll lie on a basic yes... Then saying swearing, or I swear by Jerusalem, or by the temple, or by heaven, God's throne, or by King Buddy word, it doesn't help, right? So there's this, there's this basic thing going on about keeping our word. Now watch, watch what happens. And do not take an, er, an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more comes from evil. Anything more than yes or no. So I want to talk about this for a second about the nature of yes. There's two yeses. All of our walk with God starts with a yes that leads to a no. So what do I abstain from? And what do I get if I abstain from it? But then there's a more profound way to live and that is living out of a second yes that the no's are so normally a part of our life they're not tempting anymore and then we engage. It's not about what we abstain from. It's more about what we enter into and that feels like living. That feels like, okay, now we're alive. Now we're alive. Now we're alive. But then we got to discuss the nature of yes and no. So on the surface, this is a lesson about keeping your word and being a trustworthy person. This is also a lesson about the nature of the words yes and no. Because sometimes a yes is not a profound yes. But let me give you an example. When Jesus said, let your yes be yes, is there any time in your life where your yes isn't actually a yes? Like, like oh, for instance, a, a yes in order to be seen as a type of person versus an action that flows naturally out of your character. Sometimes we say yes in order to uh, uh, keep our image up, right? And that's not yes be yes. That's yes with something underneath it, right? Or, or, or two, let's say it this way. Yes in order to hold it against you later in our relationship scoreboard. I'm going to say yes to you now because I know in four months I'm going to need something. I'm going to remind you of it, right? There's that yes versus a genuine generosity. In this sense, yes is a disguised way of serving ourselves. It appears generous, but actually it has selfish motives. There's something else going on there. 
Or, or, or maybe this way. Yes, in order to please a person who is perceived influential. Versus a yes that you would say to anyone. This yes being yes is a deep freedom being offered by Jesus through authenticity. Like, here's my question. In our walk with God and our relationship with others, what if we didn't have to play that game? What if we didn't have to worry about our image protection? What if we didn't have to do, what if we didn't have to pretend that we got all the abstaining right and we're getting our rewards right? What, what if we didn't have to impress them? What if our yes could simply be yes and our no? We could say yes to what we feel like we're meant to say yes to and we could say no to what we feel like we're meant to say no to with no strings attached or without it growing strings. What a life that would be. Or, or our no be no. Sometimes our no's not no. Like, like sometimes our no is a no, but sometimes no is beyond no. Like, like, a, like a no because I'm afraid and it would expose me. Like I'm going to say no to this because I've presented an image of myself that if I say yes to this, you're going to figure it all out. And there's this no because of a fear of being exposed. There's, there's a no because I want to manipulate them. Like, like I'm going to, hey, you didn't, do, you didn't do what I needed you to do. So I'm going to say no so you pay the price. Right? It's, it's this. It's I'm not going to meet your needs until you meet mine my way. And I'll make sure you know about it. Right? Right? This, this, is, this is a game that happens in every marriage ever until you work it out right? There's this game playing of, of we both have needs that need to be met. And so I'm going to meet your needs if you meet my needs until one day both of you wake up and go, that's a game we really don't want to play. What if we just met each other's needs with no expectation of return? If that happened, you have a marriage that would be heaven on earth. Otherwise, you have a marriage of manipulation and game playing and guilting and all kinds of temporary motivators. Sometimes a yes is a yes and sometimes a no is a no, but sometimes it's beyond that. Let's say it this way. I know because I need to teach you a lesson. That's another, as, as if there's a vacancy in the Trinity for us, right? As if God can't handle someone else's life. See, profound trust is trusting God with your life, but more profound trust is trusting God with other people's lives. It's like, I trust you with me, God. That's easy. I mean, that's, it's not easy, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's a profound trust. But a more profound trust is being able to fully trust God with them. Trusting God with us, that's one thing. Trusting God with them is an entirely different thing. Or, or how about a no in an attempt to define me? Like, I know what I'm not. I'm not this. But I think Jesus is asking a more profound question, that is, what are you? It's, it's, there's one thing to say, oh, what are Christians? Well, Christians are people who don't commit adultery, and they don't steal, and they don't murder. Well, that's literally every good person ever. That doesn't set Christianity apart at all. Like, I, I was watching... Um, there was this atheist debating this Christian, which was boring. Oh, and the Christian lost horrendously. And, and here's why. He, he, he was starting to lose the plot a bit. And he said to the atheist, he said, hey, if there's no God, then there's no hell. And if there's no hell, then what keeps you from raping and murdering everyone you want? And the atheist thought for a second and said, Nothing. I have raped and murdered every person I've ever wanted. That number just happens to be zero. And if you need God or a fear of punishment to keep you from murdering people, you're a psychopath. True. Mic drop, boom, lost, right? Right? It's never that, that like, like when people say, what is Christianity? If, 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 our, if the way we define Christianity is our list of no's, even if those no's are good things, it's not compelling. Yeah. Oh, Christians are people who, who don't commit adultery and they don't, they don't steal and they don't murder people. I mean, the world goes, 
I've got that without your whole system here, right? Right? But, but what if Christianity was more defined by what we are, what, by the more profound yes? Like there's a place for the no, but what if Christianity was, oh, what's Christianity? Oh, Christianity is a group of people who are intentionally and deliberately entering into creating life for other people who can do nothing in return for them with no expectations of return, and we're loving it. Well, if we did that, that would be good news. That would be good news. Now, a couple, I want to I end this by asking 10 questions. Um, two of them are statements, but pretend they're questions. Because, because cause it's, not, it's not what we believe. It's how we believe what we believe. You, you could believe, listen, you could believe, you can, have, you can have orthodox belief, but pagan imagination of how it works out. You could believe in the right God and be living for the wrong glory. You can do these things, right? It's not hard, not hard. So I want us to wrestle a bit. I want us to wrestle a bit with some questions around the more profound yes. Jesus is trying to invite us to a life beyond ego protection. Like, think about this for a second. What if we could actually live with no fear of having to protect ourselves, or our image or the reward system we came up with? Can we really, if, can we really believe profoundly that if I gave up all the perceived rewards that I'd still be me, I'd still be okay, and I'd still be able to connect with eternal life. Can we actually believe that? Or do we, do we tie eternal life to the rewards, but we could never actually say that? Let, let's say it this way. How much of our yes and no is about self-preservation? This will shrink our life until we're lonely and small. If everything we're saying yes to is about preserving my image to you, or your, if it's a game we play. How much of our yes and no is about self-preservation? What are the infinite possibilities that I can say yes to? Like I'm urging you tonight to consider moving your Christian walk from the yes and the no that is early and needed and good to a more profound yes that says, what can I engage into? I'm urging us to move from what do I abstain from to what am I actually engaging in? What am I actually doing? Let's say it this way. Can we let our no be driven by our yes? Can we let our no? Let, let, let me just say it this way. Number five, to say no in the most mature way is always a yes to something else. That, that's, that's how you know when you're being mature about your no. You're like, I, it's, it's not a no to manipulate. It's not a no to punish. It's not a no to judge. It's I have to draw proper boundaries and I have to say no to that because I've said yes to something else. I'm not saying no to that opportunity because I want to make you pay. I'm saying no to that opportunity because I've said yes to my family time tonight, right? So the no that's driven by the yes is the most profound and mature no. And and you got to do that, right? Because every yes also requires a thousand no's. To, To say yes to being financially affluent means no to debt. So you're not saying no to excessive spending just to say no. That no is driven by something else. Because a no in and of itself is never powerful enough to sustain your life. It's not. The no has to be driven by the yes. You're not saying no to five donuts in an hour just to do it. You're saying no because you're saying yes to health. To say yes to health requires us saying no to five donuts in an hour, right? Right? You're not saying no to to sleeping until 11 o'clock because, well, you just don't want to. You're saying no because you're saying yes to building that business, to building that dream. You're saying yes to something else. So the more profound no is always driven by a more profound yes. What is really true of me? Number six, what, if, what, 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 what do I actually want to say yes to and no to? Let's say it this way, number seven. What would our life look like if our yes was never driven by who we need to please today? 
What, is, what about that? How free would our life be if we only considered how am I connecting to eternal life? With no regard for, I'm only saying yes to please you today. Because eventually, it's not wrong. It's just not wise. Because eventually, resentment will set in in that, and it just starts destroying things, and things start to break down. But let's, let's say it this way. What would our life look like if our no was never to manipulate, self-preserve, or teach them a lesson, but rather to drive a more mature yes? What would that look like? Could you imagine a life that free? Maybe we say it this way, number nine. The abundant life requires the God of yes to settle in and reorient us around authenticity. What if we weren't trying so hard to posture or to be spiritual or to get our way or to be noticed? Wouldn't that be freedom? What, what if we could authentically celebrate when someone else got promoted instead of being privately angry? You know? Like, do we get privately angry when they get noticed and I don't? That's something else. There's a more profound yes than that. Let's say it this way, number 10. What if we could journey to a place where the primary question is not what do I gain? And, and I think that's the, that's the life Jesus is inviting us to. To live a life that infinitely engages in bringing goodness to others with no expectation of reward or fear of punishment. Like, if there was, if there was no such thing as fear of punishment and no such thing as expectation of reward, would we still engage in it? Because in that, that is the most profound yes. The most profound yes is a yes that doesn't expect reward and it doesn't fear punishment. You're doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. You're partnering with the life-giving spirit to bring life to our world. Why? Because our world needs a sign. And we might reluctantly engage in that at first, but may love compel us forward. May we mimic Jesus in this. Acknowledge the initial reluctance, but only to later be motivated by our love to make our world the better place. Because the world in Toowoomba and Australia is looking for a sign. And what does that sign mean? It means being the presence of God for our world. What does that mean? It just means being the person who turns the way people think about the world upside down. Oh, I deserve judgment. You gave me mercy. That. Oh, I have no way to pay you back and you just gave me food. That. When we be that, with no expectation of reward or fear of punishment, that is when we actually start feeling like we're alive. And that is the most profound yes. Let me, let me pray for you. Lord, we love you and we honor you. We proclaim you're king. There's none like you. Lord, would you give us the courage to see things different, the irresistible urge to respond to what we see. And would you allow us tonight to begin to touch the most profound yes. As we, as we wrestle with these questions, maybe you're here tonight and you're, I would say this, I would say that there's no yes that's too small. There's no yes that's too small. If you're here tonight, you're like, you know what? No, no, no. My whole life centers around how well I do the no's. And you just want to journey one step in the next direction. Just one. It's okay. No matter how small that step is, that'll change your life if you hold to it. No, no yes is a too small of a yes. And I would just ask you to consider with Jesus, what is my next one step? What is my next one step? Keep journey. Maybe you're here tonight and your next step is to say that initial yes to Jesus. Your next step is to go, you know what? I believe that your version of my life story is better than the one I've been writing on my own and I want to put my trust in that. And maybe you're here tonight and you need to make that decision. You need to say, you know what? 
a, a life of authenticity, a life of freedom, a life, a, a life that we're free to engage in life with no expectation of, uh, of reward or punishment. That would be an awesome, what a compelling, what a compelling life, a life that lives to bring life to others. Boy, this sounds exciting. Maybe you're thinking, you know what? I, I've been living for myself long enough. I've been protecting myself long enough. I've been living for image long enough. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired, I'm tired of hiding. I'm tired of doing it. I'm just, I'm just tired of doing it. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that your version of my life story is better than the one I've, uh, I've written on my own. And I'm going to put my trust in that. And you can make that decision tonight as well. Simply by responding. Whatever you need to say. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm trusting your version of my life instead of my own. I want to I follow you. 